people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our country. Greetings and welcome back to An Economy of One. Our number here, 844-244-3750. Toll free from anywhere. You got a comment or question, want to give me a call. Please feel free, 844-244-3750. As always, our website is an economy of one, economy of one. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at, yes, that's right, an economy of one, economy of one on Facebook. Well, we've got a lot of things to cover today, and uh, a lot has happened this week. I want to touch on, oh, mandatory voting. I want to tell you why I will never own a I watch and uh, last but not least today I'm going to tell you uh, how to guarantee well almost guarantee that your kids will be a success now you can take that to the bank from me because yes I am not a parent but before we get into this can just one thing has been on my chest all week it's been on my chest for a long time but I just got to put it out there can we please Can we please, all these articles I read, all the newspapers, that kind of stuff, can we please quit using the time reference since Lehman? It seems like everything we look at, lowest number of oil rigs since Lehman, um, this is the highest the dollar's been since Lehman. We haven't seen this lack of liquidity or volume in the market since Lehman. You know, when did Lehman Brothers' failure become our defining moment in history? Can't we just say since 2000, 2001, 1995, whatever reference point we want to use, does it have to be since Lehman? If anything else, that ought to tell us that that wasn't such a big event. We survived. We're still here. The world didn't end because Lehman Brothers went under. But... uh, We keep using that reference over and over and over, and I'm getting tired of it. So uh, I'm going to put that out there. Let's get rid of the Sense Lehman moniker. I don't know if you saw this or not this week. This was interesting. President Obama was making a speech in Cleveland, Ohio, my home state, and he put out there... To an answer to a question from the audience, he put out there that he thinks it would be a good idea to require all Americans to vote. Require all of them to vote. Now, his rationale was he was asked the question, what's the best way to limit money in elections? Since recently, the Supreme Court uh, decision on Citizens United in which the justices declared, rightly I might add, that the limits on union and corporate spending on campaigns was a limit on 
free speech. Now, I agree with that. But when asked how to get the influence of money out of the election, President Obama said, make it mandatory that everybody vote. It would be transformative if everybody voted, Mr. Obama said. That would counteract money more than anything. Well, there's two points I wanted to make on that. Two points. One, having liberty means I'm not required to do anything. So having a constitution that gives me the right to vote is not the same as a constitution that requires me to vote. Once you require me to do something, I have given up my liberty. If you require me to vote, it is no longer a right. It is a mandatory obligation, punishable by law, punishable with fines, and could make life a lot worse. I mean, we surely know by now that, by definition, a legal mandate requires enforcement. Now, what if everybody was mandated to vote? Do you think there would be no influence in there? I wouldn't take the money out of elections. I would put more money into it. It would also increase the corruption, I believe, because people would have to be required to vote and they would be swayed. It'd be easier to sway them. Now, you want to take money out of elections? Very, very simple. And it's understandable why President Obama couldn't come up with this. You want to take the money out of elections? You want to take the influence of money out of elections and out of politics? Term limits. Term limits will get rid of a lot of that influence that money has created. Much easier than mandatory voting. Now, of course, we'd have to increase the IRS, government's favorite agency, to enforce this. And by the way, it'll never happen because just a day or two after that talk, President Obama came out and recanted that and uh, tried to spin away around it. But uh, it was a tremendous backlash to saying we ought to have mandatory vote. Once again, liberty requires the ability or the opportunity to not do anything. You can't require me to vote and have me be free. Now, about the middle of the week, Janet Yellen came out and talked about raising interest rates. She, it was a big deal. She was going to drop the word patient. So apparently the Fed is no longer going to be patient. And we've already forgotten the phrases considerable time and thresholds and all that kind of stuff, green shoots, all those kind of things. So now the phrase is reasonably confident. Reasonably confident. That's the that's the attitude I want in our leaders, especially on the monetary side. There'd be nothing like going into brain surgery and you're laying there on the table getting ready to be knocked out and your surgeon says, I'm reasonably confident 
in this procedure. Reasonably confident. Well, there's four things that they're looking at. First is jobs, of course. They want to see a stronger labor market with less labor market slack. Okay. So they're going to continue looking at jobs. Another concern they have is core inflation. Still running below 2%. They expect inflation to remain quite low for a while because of energy. Energy has stayed down, stayed down below $50 a barrel on oil. Looks like it's going to be there for quite a while. We're not going to see much wage growth for a little while yet. There's too many people that are no longer counted in the labor force. And as those people come in, the wages are not going to have the upward pressure that we would normally have if we counted everybody in the overall workforce that should be there. So we're not going to have the upward wage growth right away. It's going to take a little while. And the fourth thing is they're expecting broad market inflation to inch up to their 2%, which is, I don't know where they got this. This was the number they came up with that they wanted to target for inflation. But their long-term aspect over or expectation over the next five years is to get inflation back up to one and three quarters to two percent. So we'll see. But as of right now, I'm telling you, I don't think they're going to raise interest rates in the near future. Everybody was expecting it in June. I don't see it happening uh, this June. Maybe later this year. Maybe 25 basis points. But she's not going to raise interest rates very much anytime soon. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why I'm adamantly opposed to owning an iWatch and why I'll never own one. It's an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. We are back. Our number here, 844-244-3750. Our website, aneconomyofone.com, aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook page. Go to Facebook, give us a like, see what my producers put on there every day for stuff that I read, stuff that you can look at, and uh, see what we're talking about on a daily basis. You know... A couple weeks ago, we were introduced to the iWatch. Apple comes out with this. Now, I've got nothing against Apple. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a terrific company. They've done tremendous things. You don't get to be that size by doing bad things or dumb things. But what we lose in the translation, I believe, is the need for this altogether. I don't like being connected all the time. It drives me nuts to see people in the grocery store, uh, in their cars, everywhere, restaurants, everywhere, they have to be connected. And what we're learning, what I'm seeing is, over many years now, 
This technology has not saved me anything. People are busier than they've ever been. They're getting less done than they've ever gotten done. They're less happy. They're more anxious than they've ever been. And it's that constant connection to the network. Now, once again, I'm not a parent, but it reminds me of the stories and scenes I've seen of a little kid constantly pulling on your pant leg saying, how come, how come, how come, how come? I mean, my goodness, can't people go without being connected for a minute? I mean, the iWatch, think of this. It's going to tell you when you get an email, when something's coming up on your calendar, when something is triggered that you're watching, when your your sports team, whatever it is, wins, loses, plays, whatever. Do you really need that? I'm thinking, I'm knowing in my own life that not being connected is the advantage what we call quietude quietude is now the luxury the iWatch like every other enslaving piece of network hardware out there is a productivity killer I've said for a long time the cure for loneliness is solitude The cure for loneliness is not being connected to everybody all the time. Everybody you see, everybody on the bus, the store, the restaurant, everywhere, they're connected. How can you think clearly and productively when your train of thought is constantly being interrupted by incoming messages and notifications? Take a look at your emails through the day. How many of them are relevant in any aspect of your life? I paired my emails clear down to just a few a day by labeling everything that I didn't want as junk. Now, you can't stop this stuff from coming in, but well, you can, but not all of it. But now my junk box at the end of the day will have 100 messages in it. And my mailbox will have five. And out of those five, four of them I don't really need. They just don't annoy me like the other hundred does. So I'm not going to buy into what they call wearable technology. Not saying there isn't money to be made from it. And Apple will be able to make money. But I am not going to worry about being connected i think the new status level the higher status is being unconnected there was a time when it was a status symbol to be connected today i don't think that's the case i think the status symbol is to be unconnected another thing that concerned me this week was we're starting to see, you know, we're getting into a lot of conversation about uh, specifically China. China's always been in that conversation of wanting to be the world's reserve currency and destroy the dollar 
as the world's reserve currency. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But one of the trends I'm seeing is that more and more America's financial regulators, our financial institutions, the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and the SEC, are answering to and being committed to a board of G20 countries. Now, this is brought about by Dodd-Frank. Remember Dodd-Frank? That's a piece of legislation that didn't get the press that Obamacare did, but should have. Dodd-Frank legislation is, is, is growing its tentacles into every aspect of our financial world, and they've created these boards that answer to and commit to G20 nations. If there's anything that's going to destroy the ability of our economy to recover and grow, it's our regulators allowing foreign financial institutions to force us to commit to regulations and policies and procedures that are not necessarily in America's best interest. And we're seeing this every week. And they're even admitting it, that their their key findings have to go to the G20. And President Obama will have legislation on his desk. He'll have commitments on his desk that require full, consistent, and prompt implementation to these regulations put together by G20 nations. This is where I think a lot of our issue could be. Now, when we come back, I'm going to talk about this new Chinese infrastructure bank that everybody is joining that people are saying is going to destroy us and destroy our dollar. Give you a little hint. Not going to happen. I'm Gary Rathbun. It's an economy of one. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. is an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. We are back, you know, almost every day this week. Almost every day I've seen a headline about one more of our allies joining the Chinese Infrastructure Bank. Japan, Great Britain, Italy, Germany, all these countries, South Korea joining the Chinese Infrastructure Bank and And what happens in this headline society that we live in, the headline reads, oh, this is another nail in the coffin. This is one more step to the world going off the dollar's reserve currency. Now, a couple things on that. One, I guess most importantly, it is not a sign that the world is going off the dollar's reserve currency. Once I'll explain, once I explain the Chinese Infrastructure Bank 
you're going to understand a little bit more about this and why this isn't a big deal. And I'll get to that in just a second. Two, we've still got the strongest military in the world. If the Fed does nothing, nothing over the next year, the, the dollar will still remain the strongest currency in the world because these other nations are starting their quantitative easing. They're starting their weakening of their currency. It's only going to make us stronger. Now, a strong currency has negative impact on our exports. But we can deal with that. Fact is, the world is not going off the the dollar reserve currency anytime soon. Now, let's take a look at this Chinese infrastructure bank. This is a bank, one of the largest banks in the world, certainly the largest bank in China, that financed all the infrastructure in China. Roads, bridges, um, uh, buildings, water, sewer, all that kind of stuff. Infrastructure. Well, what's happening is in recent months, over the last year, you've seen that the Chinese GDP is slipping. Slipping. It used to be 14%, then 12 then 11 Now it's down around 7%. And the infrastructure bank is saying, hey, wait a minute. Um... There's no more growth to be had in financing Chinese infrastructure right now. So we're going to open this up, and we're going to invite other countries to be part of this bank and part of this liquidity so we can make some money. Because we're not making any money financing the infrastructure. People from the rural areas are not moving into the cities. The growth of China is not what it used to be. So... These other countries, South Korea, Japan, Japan hasn't joined yet, but they will. South Korea, same way. All of our allies, Germany, Great Britain, Italy, Spain, they're looking at this as an opportunity to cash in on some of that liquidity that the Chinese Infrastructure Bank is putting out there. They consider it an unrivaled opportunity. And I would, too. Now, they're talking about $50 billion. Now, $50 billion, if it was sitting here in a pile, it would look like a lot of money. And, indeed, it would be a lot of money. But, remember, the IMF is over $200 billion. The World Bank is another $140, 150000000000 billion. Now, we have a lot of influence in those two banks. We don't have a lot of influence in the Chinese Infrastructure Bank. This has nothing to do with us being the world's reserve currency. It's not going to change anything. People, this is a definition of a non sequitur. They're drawing a conclusion from something that's happening that very few people understand that looks like a lot of money and looks important, but it really isn't. Really isn't. If somebody was going to loan money to Italy, would you rather it be the Chinese Infrastructure Bank or us now that's somewhat of a rhetorical question let them loan them the money i'm not going to loan them our money my goodness let them borrow money from those other institutions rather than us i say go for it 
Borrow the money someplace else. At least we're not giving you our money. So it's very important to understand what this infrastructure bank is. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's another vehicle, if you will, for countries to borrow money from to finance infrastructure projects. It's nothing. means nothing to us to speak up. So don't worry about it. We're not going off the dollar standard because of this. We may go off the dollar standard someday, and I think we will, but not because of the Chinese infrastructure bank. Just not going to happen. Now, I was reading something a little later in the week that talked about the negative bond yields around the, the globe, the quantitative easing that's going on out there, and all the adverse repercussions on the financial system that this is causing. And one guy came out and said that this reminds him of a 1937-like slump, and that it's probably, it's probably too late to avoid another crisis. Now, I'm not going to debate that point with you here today. It might be too late to avoid a crisis. It might not be too late to avoid a crisis. The fact is, no one is going to call you or I and ask for our input on how to avoid a crisis or not. Some of the indicators they're looking at from an American standpoint, U.S. economy standpoint, is our savings rate, yours and mine, we're saving too much money. We're not borrowing enough money. We're not digging these these holes of debt to buy useless things like we did in the past. Now, personally, I think that's a good thing. Does it damage the economy as a whole? It depends on how you measure it, but yeah. The big borrowers out there are major corporations that are borrowing money at very low rates for mergers and acquisitions and buying their own stock back. So when we start looking at these things, you know, quantitative easing makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. And that's not good or bad. It just is. If you have assets that will grow in value because of monetary policy and the monetary monetary policy is such that it causes your assets to grow, that's not your fault. You're not taking money away from poor people. It's the monetary policy that you're able to take advantage of. So let's boil this down into common vernacular where they're inflating a bubble. The bubble's going to pop, and it looks like there's nothing you can do, anybody can do to prevent the bubble from popping. Okay, you with me? Bubble is inflating. Bubble's going to pop. Nothing we can do about it. Now, you remember what I always say. Nothing I can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. It's the same way here. 
if we look at all these indicators, yes, a bubble is forming. Do bubbles always pop? No, they do not. But it doesn't matter to me whether it pops or not. What matters to me is how can I leverage the potential popping or the potential non-popping? So we can curl up in a fetal position in the corner, suck our thumbs, rock back and forth, say, oh my goodness, the bubble's going to pop. It's going to destroy so many things in the economy, uh, unemployment, inflation, interest rate, whatever. Well, none of that matters. Nobody's going to call you and ask you what to do about it. They put out there that you're not borrowing enough money. You're not spending enough. If only you would spend more. If only all of us would spend more, dig our personal debt a little deeper, and that'll save the economy. Well, that's BS. We can't do that. The fact is that individuals since 2007, 2008 have been cleaning up their own balance sheet. They've been getting themselves in better shape. And when you're in good shape, then you can take advantage of what happens. So what happens when bubbles pop? Prices change dramatically. I don't care if prices go up or go down. I don't care. Long as I can anticipate which way they're going. If I can anticipate which way they're going, I can make money from it. You can make money from it. The idea is we're not going to sit back and wring our hands about what the economy is potentially going to do. I'm not too concerned about how inflated the bubble is getting. I'm not too concerned about it popping. I'm not concerned about it deflating. I'm concerned about taking advantage of what it does do. And if we can take advantage of what it does, we can make money. So when you see these headlines, may already be too late to avert the disaster. All that's telling us is there's still time to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's what we're going to look at. Coming up, I'm going to tell you how to uh, almost guarantee that your kids will succeed in life. And uh, EPA wants to take a shower with you. That's a charming thought, isn't it? Gary Raspin. An economy of one. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We are back. Apparently, it's not enough. It's not enough for the government to require a sticker in the shower that says, you ready? Slippery when wet. Apparently now the EPA wants to monitor how long hotel guests spend in the shower. Now, I don't know how serious they are. They only put up 15 grand for a grant to create a device. Now, get this. (laughs) They want a device that will modify guests' behavior. Now, what kind of a device is going to uh, modify 
your behavior in a shower? Don't answer that. I'm not sure I want to know. Don't send me an email on that either. But they want hotels to monitor how much time their guests spend in the shower. Hotels consume a significant amount of water in the U.S. and around the world. So most hotels do not monitor individual guest water usage. And as a result, millions of gallons of potable water are wasted every year by hotel guests. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's hard for me to go through this with a straight face. Now, for years, I stay in a lot of hotels, travel all over. For years, hotels have had the the option of their guests saying, you know what, you don't have to replace uh, my sheets every day. You don't have to replace all my towels every day, that kind of stuff. And I get that. I mean, I look at it from the hotel standpoint, and it's money. If they can get their guests to say, you don't have to do this. They save a few bucks. I'm all for that. What I have a trouble, what I have a problem with is the EPA mandating it. They want to modify your behavior. On average, a person takes 8.2 minutes to take a shower at 17.8 gallons. Did you know that? On average. They want to get that down to 7 minutes rather than 8.2. 7 minutes. And that will save millions and millions of gallons of water. Makes me want to go out and rent a hotel room and just turn on the shower, doesn't it? Let it run 24-7. Just amazing to me that the EPA is sticking their nose in that aspect of our lives. Their recommendation, get in the shower. Turn it on so you get wet. Turn it off. Lather up. Turn the shower back on. Rinse off. And then turn it back off. You can easily do that. Easily do that in five minutes or less. Can you believe this? Absolutely incredible. And people will roll over and it'll happen and then it'll be mandatory. Won't be long before you'll go in. I don't remember if you remember this, but when I was a kid and we took showers in gym class, the showers were timed. You just push the button and the water came out the nozzle and it reached a certain point where it just shut off. That's what's going to happen. You watch. There will be timed nozzles in hotel rooms. And if that gets by without too much blood in the streets, then they'll have time nozzles in your house. Don't think it's not going to happen. These are the same people that brought you low-flush toilets. And you've seen how well that's worked out over the years. Several years ago, after this this low-flush toilet thing took place, you know what the number one export out of Canada and the United States was? Everybody always says drugs. No! Toilets! People wanted toilets that actually used enough water to get the job done. I'm not going to go into graphic detail on that, but, uh, yeah. Coming to a a shower near you. Now, been teasing you with this tonight. How to get your kids to succeed in life. This was interesting when I came across this. So this is a Wall Street Journal essay. 
And what they found out that of the many young people that grew up to be self-reliant, successful, did better in school, did better in college, had chores every day. They had chores, household chores. When they come home from school, they had stuff to do. Now, every parent today, once again, I'm an expert because I don't have any children. But parents today want their kids spending time on things that can bring them success. Band, music, chess, soccer, whatever. I don't know what kids do nowadays. And instead, they're keeping them from the things that are a proven predictor of that success. Giving children chores at at an early age helps build a lasting sense of mastery, responsibility, and self-reliance. This is according to Marty Rossman. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Minnesota. He says we're out of balance. They, they, they researched or surveyed 10,000 middle and high school students and asked them what they, to rank what they valued more, achievement, happiness, or caring for others. 80% chose either achievement or happiness over caring for others. Now, you know me. I'm not a diehard, liberal, bleeding heart, help your fellow man at all costs, sacrifice yourself at all. But I am a person who believes that this society is now out of balance. This goes back to my earlier discussion tonight on the iWatch. We're out of balance with that. When I was a kid, came home from school every day, I had work to do. And it didn't matter whether I felt like doing it or not. That was my job. My dad owned many companies. I wanted things. That's how I got them. I've told people over and over, if you want to help yourself, help somebody else. Accomplish something. We're out of balance. Kids don't know how to work. They don't have an opportunity to work. And it's because they don't have that guidance at a young, young stage in their life to work. Very important that they build up the responsibility, the thought process behind effort, action, and results from that effort and action. I want you to have a great day. I want you to be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.